you have a copy of the Word of God, if you'll turn to James chapter 1 this morning, you can find a uh, copy of the Bible, a hard copy, right in the pew rack in front of you. If um, you need one of those, or maybe on your digital device, you can uh, find it there. And um, let's turn to James chapter 1. We're going to begin a, what is going to be a wonderful, wonderful uh, study through this book that was written by the half-brother of Jesus. There are a few Jameses in the New Testament, but this particular James that writes this book is the, is the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus, of course, was the older, and the Gospels tell us that there were four brothers and at least two sisters. And uh, the interesting part about Jesus' family, other than Joseph and Mary, is that no one really, really believed in him. In fact, uh, we read in the Gospels that when his brothers and his sisters saw that he was beginning to draw a crowd and they began to understand what is this guy doing, it says that they sought to restrain him or to pull him back because they thought he was mad. They thought he was insane. So let's be honest here. Uh, for those of you who have older brothers, if your older brother said, I am the son of God and tried to pull that stunt, you would think he was crazy too. You would seek to restrain him as well. But the the wonderful part is that James eventually, at some point, comes to follow his brother. And he becomes, um, he becomes this incredible leader in the, in the very first church there in Jerusalem. And, and he leads this church as really it is the headquarters for Christianity. And it is the source, this church, from which Christianity is then thrust out throughout the rest of the world. And we can read... In Acts chapter 15 about James's influence on both the Jews and the Gentiles coming together to, to, to um, spread the gospel. And, and so this is an interesting character, but he, he doesn't give us much of an introduction in his book. He just simply says this in James chapter 1, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are scattered throughout. And so he is writing to these Jewish Christians that have spread throughout Jerusalem. And obviously, he has in mind Gentiles who will come to faith as well. And so he doesn't give us much more of an introduction other than that. And he jumps right in to the question about the genuineness of our faith. And this is what we're going to study for the next few weeks together here at Taylor's. And that is, what does it mean to have authentic faith? Or what does it mean to live authentically? What does it mean for us to say, here is God's design for living? Here is God's design, his pattern in the word of God for how we are to live our lives authentically before him and before others. And we're going to put the word of God up in front of us and we're going to, we're going to look at it, we're, our lives, we're going to uh, reflect upon the word of God and see where we are living, whether we're living authentic lives or not. And so as we come to this very first section, James is going to press us a little bit, he's going to, he's going to nudge us a little bit, he's going to challenge us, but eventually encourage us about the authenticity of our faith. And the authenticity of our faith can be most seen or easily seen in how we handle trouble and trials. 
Let's read the first few verses here. Let's read the first paragraph in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 this morning. And then we're going to go to five, verse, uh, 5 through 8, and then we'll wrap up our time this morning. Read with me, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So right out of the gate, here's what James says. Your faith is going to be tested to see whether it's authentic or whether it's genuine or not. And the way that you move through trouble, the way that you move through trials is going to signify whether your faith is really genuine. Just how deep and just how authentic and real it is. And so he starts out, count it joy, my brothers, when you face these various trials or these various tests right out of the gate, when trouble comes our way, when trials or suffering comes our way. And let me just say this, with a crowd as diverse as this, with the ages of the people that we have here in this room and those who are watching online, with the diversity of a crowd like this, with our, our, with our ages, with our generations, with, with our understanding of, of Jesus, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a long, long time, or there are some of you here who do not know Jesus personally. With diversity like that, there is no telling all of the trials and all of the tribulations that have come your way. I can't even begin to name or to think about what every single one of you has been through or are going through right now, whether it's health, whether it's relationships, whether it's your past, whether it's uh, you're uncertain or worried about your future, whether it's your job, whether it's your income, whether it's your marriage, your children, your grandchildren. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know this, that when James says, count it joy when you meet various trials, when you meet them, not if, but when, here's the reality, all of us are going to go through struggles, all of us are going to go through disappointments, when you go through various trials, he says this, count it joy. Now, James, that is hard to do, isn't it? It is hard to do when trouble comes, when you um, fall into a trial, when you face various trials. The, the actual language is when you fall into times of testing and trouble. The language there, when you face, is the same language that, that Luke uses when he says that, that uh, there was a man who was going down the road to Jericho and he fell among robbers. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. Same thing. We, we fall into tests and trials unexpectedly. We don't, we don't see them coming. They just happen. That relationship is severed. That relationship is strained. That relationship is broken. And all of a sudden, you wake up and you don't know what to do. The doctor gives you word, and all of a sudden your health, which has been good for a long, long time, is now gone. Your son or your daughter walks in and gives you those news, the news that you never, ever wanted to hear, and you have now fallen into a trial, into a trouble that you didn't expect. I don't know what it is this morning. I'm just trying to connect to your heart. And I'm telling you, we all go through them. I go through them. And James says, count it joy when you 
do this. Here's thought number one tomorrow, uh, this afternoon, this morning rather, a perspective on trials. A perspective on trials. The perspective James wants us to have, one word, is joy. Joy. Now, how do we do that? How do we have joy when we walk through trouble? It's like in my backyard. I have this fence, and the fence is pretty high. And so when I'm out in the backyard, and I'm walking along there, and, and, and me and the kids are in the back, we can't see into our neighbor's yard. We can't see anything. The fence is at least as high as above my head. But when I step up onto the porch, I can begin to see my neighbor's house and his porch and the yard just a little bit clearly. Not that I'm nosy or anything. I don't want you to think I'm, I'm, I'm peeping on my neighbor. But, but I can see a little bit, bit more. When I, when I go up to my study, it looks over the porch and looks over the yard and looks over the fence and I can see my neighbor's yard, I can see the next driveway, I can see parts of the neighborhood from my office. Here's what James wants you to have this morning when it comes to your trial and tribulation. The Word of God wants to bring you from a place where you cannot see up a little bit to the porch, up a little bit to the office so that you can understand that your trials have purpose and meaning. And James says, when you understand what God is after, as God is looking from the study and he sees all around him, when you can see what he's seeing, then you will not look at your trial and look at your trouble as something that is harmful but helpful. You will no longer look at that trial as something that is an obstacle in your way. That when you, when you fall into that trial, our immediate thought is this is a roadblock. This is something that is, is causing me to take a detour, to go a different way. It's going to be longer. It's going to be more difficult. I didn't expect this. And instead, James says, what you're going to find if you get a view from the office upstairs, you are going to find that what God is after is something in you that will ultimately bring you satisfaction and meaning and contentment and because of that he says brothers hold on your instinct your instinct is to run from trouble your instinct is is to fight against it right that's what we do when we get into and when we get into a jam when we get into trouble we some of us want to flee some of us just want to run some of us just want to hide some of us just want to duck some of you want to fight some of you want to get after it some of you want to fix it Whether you want to flee, whether you want to fight, whether you want to fix it, James says, I want you to hold on because God is going to give you a perspective in which when trouble and trials come, you don't do any of those things. You say this, God is at work. And because of that, there's joy. I didn't say happiness. I didn't say giddiness. I didn't say some kind of weird view of trouble and suffering. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, this is an opportunity where you are. I want you to put it in your mind right now, whatever it is you're going through, I want you to put in your mind this thought. God wants to produce something through this that if he doesn't take me through it, he's not going to produce it. So therefore, I have an opportunity to grow. I have an opportunity to see God do amazing things through me. Therefore, I'm going to be content. I'm not going to get too far ahead. 
I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to fight. Count it joy, he says. Consider, that word count, consider, it means evaluate. Evaluate and then purposefully say, this is meant for something good. Therefore, God, I'll begin to walk with you. All right, secondly then, what's the process? The perspective on trials is joy. The process of going through trials, one word, endurance. Endurance, verse three, look at it in your, in your text. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And let steadfastness, endurance, have its full effect. So let the process run through to its completion, all right? The trial you're in, all right, take a step back and say, here's a different perspective. God is up to something. I'm not gonna run from it, I'm gonna embrace it, all right? I'm gonna consider it joy, but then in the midst of that, there has to be endurance. We don't have endurance as a people. I know I struggle with endurance, with patience. By nature, we're just not patient people. Maybe you are, I'm not. All right, I'm the type of guy that when I get to an elevator, uh, it might be at the hospital or it might be somewhere else, I'm at an elevator and, the, and the, uh, if I'm going to the fourth floor and the four is lit up, I don't, if that elevator doesn't come down, what do you do? You start pressing the four really fast, right? You ever do that? Admit it, you know you do that. As if the elevator's gonna come any quicker. I don't let the elevator have its, let it come down on its own, I'm impatient. Medicine, when you go to the doctor and, and, and you, you get a prescription and on the prescription it says, for the next seven days, take one pill twice a day. All right, so after day two, you're feeling pretty good. What do you do? You don't take the medicine and you put it away. The doctor said, in order for the medicine to take full effect, you have to take it all for seven days, right? Same thing in the Christian life. When God puts us through trials, when God sends trials, when God orchestrates, when God allows, or when God permits trials, and he does, he is saying, sit tight and let the trial give you strength with joy, with that perspective, then, and, and dependence on me, then you will begin to have the strength to endure, and this is the process by which you are gonna make your way through the trials, through the strength and the patience that I give you. And we often are too quick to want to get out of the trial. And it's just natural, and, and that's just the point. This is a matter of faith. This is a matter of faith where, where we say, God, if you're trying to build strength and endurance in us, then we have to let it have its full effect. So when in the trial, our response is to let it run its full course, to let it download completely. And then each test builds upon the previous one. Each exam each trial, each period of our life, if it produces strength, then the one previous to it is added to another one and added to another one until God says, yes, now you're getting it. Yes, now you're beginning to grow because you're having strength and you have perseverance. We're in need of perseverance though. 
because we're so quick to run, we're so quick to fight, we're so quick to fix. And that phrase just keeps ringing over and over and over in my mind. Let endurance have its full effect. Let it work its way through you. And then you'll begin to work through the process. But then number three, what is God after? Verse four. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here's the purpose. Maturity. Maturity. God sends trials. God allows tests. God allows suffering. God allows disappointments and discouragement. God oversees that because here's what he's after. He's after something that he values in you. God values something in those who are followers of Jesus. He he values in them more than our happiness, more than our comfort, more than getting what we want, more than getting our way, more than the certainty of our lives. You know what God values more than any of those things? God values growing you up to be like his son because he loves his son that much and he loves you that much and he understands this, that your happiness and your comfort and your certainty, all the longings of your heart, all the longings that you put in people or in your plans or whatever it is and those things are broken or severed or crushed or destroyed all those longings God allows those things to come in so he can steer your heart towards what he values more and that is you becoming like his son and he knows this that the more you become like Christ the more you are content the more you are truly satisfied the more you are authentically living in alignment with him and the more joy there is in your life. He values the joy of becoming like Christ more than your comfort and happiness and certainty. And this is why trials come. This is why I get uncomfortable. Because God is is working on me and growing me and saying, I want you to be more mature. He says, here's the purpose, that you are perfect My translation says you you are perfect and complete. That doesn't mean sinless. None of us will be sinless until we get to heaven. What it does mean is that you are complete, that you are finished, that you are whole. Without these trials, listen, without these trials, some part of your character is going to go undeveloped. Without trials that come, some moral or spiritual defect in your life is going to remain. Without these trials, some sin goes unchecked. Without these trials, some aspect of your life that God desires to use greatly down the road will not be cultivated and developed without the tool of suffering and trouble. And what God is after is your completion and your maturity and the next level of your development. And he says, I'm going to use a trial and trouble to get you there. Now, that sounds great, Pastor. (laughs) That sounds really good. (laughs) That paragraph sounds really tight. And and, and I, I understand that. 
I can see what God is after from a biblical perspective or maybe from a theological perspective. I can see what God is trying to do. I can see where God is headed, but I'm struggling to do that. Anyone like that? I mean, I'm in the middle of this thing and I hear all that and it looks good on paper, but in reality, how does that work? God knows that. The Holy Spirit knows that. James knows that. So listen to what he says. Read verses five through eight with me, all right? Here's the encouragement this morning. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Here's the amazing thing that God knows about you, all right? He knows that you're struggling with this. He knows it's hard. And he gives us two things. He gives us, number one, he gives us the model of his son. He gives us Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is given to people as an encouragement. It says, I want you, the writer says, to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who, get this, ready? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross And he despised any shame. He didn't care about any shame that came his way so that he could go to the cross and now he is seated at the right hand of God. All right, here's what I want to give you this morning. Number one, if you're struggling, I want want to give you Jesus. I, I want to give you the model of a man who was perfect. He was sinless, but he came and he suffered and died for our sins. He suffered and he died for you. All right, this is what's called the gospel. I want to give it to you as simply and lovingly as I can. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came, died for your sin, was resurrected again, and when you put your faith and trust in him, when you give your life and your heart to him, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've been guilty of, and we all are guilty of sin, because of Christ's work, you can be forgiven. And you can be cleansed and you can be freed and liberated from that. And you can know Christ forever. Maybe that's why you're here today. On a day when many, many churches are closed, on a day when it's snowy out, on a day when many people are home, perhaps this is the reason you are here to hear that good news that you are in desperate need of a rescuer, of someone who will save you from your sin. Maybe that's why you're here. I invite you to come at the end of our service. He's waiting for you. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, so did you hear, hear the language in there from Hebrews? Who for the joy that was set before him. So here's what the writer of Hebrews and what James is reminding us of in his brother. He's saying, look, there is joy ahead of you. There is joy in completion and fulfilling what God has for you. Just as Jesus came, you're not alone. Just as Jesus came, sinless, perfect, and was humiliated and suffered and endured, he saw the joy and he said, yes, Father, I'll finish it. Help me finish the work. Remember Jesus on the cross? He said what? It is finished. 
so too with us. So there's the model. I, I present to you Jesus, the, the one who walks where you walk. You might be suffering. You might be struggling. I don't know what your trouble or your trial is this morning, but I just present to you the one who endured and suffered just like you did. Hang in there. Look at him. Look at him. Follow him. Here's the second thing James says, all right? If you're struggling with this, I want to give you some hope. If any of you lacks wisdom, verse 4. Here's the provision. The provision for trials is wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. If you don't know, you're stuck, you don't know how to get through this. You're waking up at 3 o'clock every morning and you're trying to figure out, how do I get through this? You're reasoning, you're calling people, you're talking to people, you're saying, all right, how do we get this fixed? On your own, you just need to stop and you need to come to God and you need to ask him, God, give me wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the knowledge of who God is, the knowledge of his works, the knowledge of his ways rightly applied to my particular circumstances. That's what wisdom is. Let me say that again. Here's what wisdom is. The knowledge of who God is his work and his ways, and it's applied to my everyday circumstances. We have a lot of knowledge in, Christ, in the Christian world. We've got a lot of knowledge of who God is. Just like in my library, I have a lot of books up there. There's a lot of knowledge stored up in those books. Knowledge of who God is and his works and his ways and books about churches and books about uh, all sorts of missions and books about all sorts of knowledge. But if I don't take that book down, I don't apply that knowledge, the books really just contain it. It's not applied. So it is with wisdom. God says, if you lack wisdom, listen to the heart of God here, all right? Listen, if you lack wisdom, quit looking for wisdom in your own mind and in your own heart and in other people come to me he says and i will give it to you two ways generously i'll give it to you generously and i'll give it to you without any type of reproach here's where i want you to see god this morning i want you to see him as a god who who's a generous god ready to give you what you need ready to give you direction, ready to give you through his word and through his people and through his spirit. He's ready to give you wisdom and direction. If you come to him, he's generous. That word generous, we kind of think of it as just, he's lavish, right? He is. Lamentations. Your mercies are new every, every single morning. Your steadfast love never ceases like a faucet that never turns out. Here comes your love. Here comes your mercy. Oh, Lord, great is your faithfulness. But yet, when it comes to our trials and our troubles, we don't look to the faithful God. God says, come to me. I'm generous. I'm lavish with, with the wisdom I want to give you. That word also means I'm single-minded. I'm focused on you and on, your, on, on where you are and where, where I, I'm leading you and how I'm growing you up and that deficiency so you don't lack anything. I'm, I'm single-mindedly focused on your heart and on your circumstances. And if you come to me, here I am. I'm ready to give generously and then without reproach. I've always struggled with this phrase, without reproach. Not really sure what what it meant without reproach, but here's where I think it means that when God says, come to me and I'll give to you wisdom, it means he will give it without a grudge. 
He will give it without a test of our condition. He will give it without a, without a test of, of who we are. There's no discrimination with God. Now let me say this. If there's sin in your life, absolutely. Peter, Peter talks about a sin um, to suffer as one who, who hasn't done anything wrong. That's what we're talking about here. When Peter says, look, I want you to suffer not as a wrongdoer, not as an evildoer, not as someone who's, who's being sinful and the consequences of sin come and, and, and because of that you have to pay the price. That, that's not really suffering. That's just the consequences of your sin. What James is talking about here, though, it's a beautiful thing. He says, listen, when, when you've just fallen into trial and tribulation, not that you're perfect, but, but you haven't done anything to bring this upon yourself and you lack wisdom, Come to God, and here's where we struggle. We, we, we get the generous part. We get the part where he says, God is so, so good to us, he'll give us wisdom. Here's the part where I struggle. I don't know about you, but I have to uh, be kind of ready for God to, to give me what he needs. Have I done anything wrong this week? Ha have, I, have I kind of um, violated in some way his work in my life or his ways in my life? Am I really worthy of God to give me what I want and what I need? really worthy and if you confess your sin and you come to him here's the amazing thing about grace is that if we come broken last week I talked about being broken if we come broken in our hearts and in our lives before him we come broken to God he is ready he is ready he is ready to pour out his wisdom upon you, his direction, his leading. But we get to the point and we say, God, I'm not worthy. What I've done in the past, there's no way. There's no way God will see fit to grow me. Yes, he will. Because he's full of grace. He's full of mercy. He's full of forgiveness. Some of you, this is the sticking point for some of you. You can't get past your worthiness before God. And I simply point to the cross, which says that because of Christ and because of his death on the cross, all of God's wrath against sin has been poured on him. And he has made you free. Come to him. Come to him. Now, here, lastly, there's a precondition for the wisdom. All right? God, you want to help us. You, you want to move us through this. All right, lastly, there's a precondition of wisdom, verses six through eight. Look at it one more time. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Great picture there, James. If you come, ask in faith, not doubting. Verse seven, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, that's a strong verse right there, verse seven. Look at it again. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So here's the precondition for wisdom. It's coming to God, saying, God, you've got to walk me through this. You've got to help me. Father, through your word and through your spirit and through your body, will you give me leading and will you give me direction? He says, now, when you come, though, you come not vacillating. You, you don't come wavering. You don't come going back and, and forth like a wave, James says, of the sea. 
that is tossed to and fro. When, when we go to the beach, I've used this illustration before, when we go to the beach, when you go to the beach, how easy is it for you to be out in the water and there's your umbrella and there's where your, your stuff is and how easy it, is it if you're not looking, if you're not intentional, if you're not watching for you to be, be, be carried over by the, the wind, be carried over by the tide and you look up and what happens? There's the umbrella, and there's your stuff way over there. So you have to get back up, and you have to slog your way. You have to come all the way over again. And then you don't look, and, and naturally what happens? You're just carried over by the, the waves and by the tide and by the wind again. And this is what happens in our natural life. This is what happens. If we're not intentionally focused, we're going to get carried away. And James says, when you just left yourselves naturally, when you come to God, you're looking for wisdom you naturally can, can get carried over. So quit, he says, being double-minded. Quit wavering. Quit vacillating. Come in with great faith, which says that my God can give me what I need and pull me through and produce in me everything he wants to produce. I think here's the trick, all right? Here's the, here's the trick to this whole thing. Here, here's what I think, is that we must see God in his sovereignty and wisdom and power and might and goodness and glory. And when you get a glimpse of a hymn, then suddenly you begin to say in your heart, I can trust him. I can trust that. And until we get our eyes off of ourselves inwardly or off of other people or off of the trial or off of the circumstances. They're going to come, the trials, all right? Until we get our eyes lifted up to him and see him and all that he offers, we are going to struggle and vacillate and waver and be full of doubt. But when you see the greatness and the glory and the power of Almighty God, and you submit to that, you get a taste of that, then you say, my faith, yes, is in him, not in my circumstances, not in me. It's a powerful thing when it happens. It's a powerful thing when, when we submit to that. So James says, ask and don't doubt. In verse 12, here's our ending this morning. Blessed then, happy is the man, content, who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. James would be martyred for his faith. James would be killed for following Jesus. James would suffer mightily throughout his life. But he can look at us and he can, through the Holy Spirit, teach us and the Holy Spirit can remind us. Endure. Contented is the person. Not the one who in his heart and in his mind, is insecure. Not the one in his heart and in his mind who wakes up fearful. Not the one in his heart and in his mind who's always looking back. 
Not the one in his heart and in his mind who's always looking ahead. Not the one who lives in constant anxiety and worry and turmoil. But blessed is the one who when the trial comes, endures and grows stronger and abandons himself to the wisdom and to the power of Almighty God. Happy, content, fulfilled is that man and is that woman. And that's authentic living. Will you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, we simply ask for two things. Number one, Father, Will you look at the one who is not a follower of Jesus here and would your Holy Spirit, would you love and encourage and move and work in such a way where that individual senses something supernatural happening and that they respond this morning, whether they come down front or whether afterwards they say, I need to know more about Jesus and his love and the cross for me. May it be today, Father. But may it be soon, if not today. Secondly, Lord, would you be with the people here? People who are members here at Taylor's, those who are guests, those who are regular attenders, Lord. Those who are followers of Jesus and there's such a heavy load upon them, may something in the word of God this morning May they be able to hold on to it. May they begin to grow. May they begin to cultivate what has been spoken. And may we begin to see a new day in the lives of people here at Taylor's. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are suffering. I pray for them who are hurting. But I pray most of all that they see the greatness and glory and power and love that you have for them. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.